This is Father Gregory Pine. And this is Father Bonaventure Chapman. And welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. For this episode of Guest Planning, we're delighted to be joined by Father Tad Pahalchik. So thanks so much for joining us on God's Planning. Pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. Um, it is certainly our joy. And I had the pleasure of hearing you speak once, I think it was 15, 16 years ago when I was a student at Franciscan University of Steubenville. Uh, you spoke about embryonic stem cell research uh, in the conversation before pushing record. We discussed how that particular conversation has, uh, well, it just hasn't had as much sustained interest because the money is already there. And so people tend not to care about whether it's ethical. Uh, but there have been obviously a variety of bioethical conversations in the meantime that have sustained interest, um, upon which you have spoken and published in a variety of different um, media. And uh, so people obviously will, well, maybe not obviously, uh, people will know your work from the National Catholic Bioethics Center um, and, and from various other things. But for those who don't know you, or just as a way to orient us, would you just say a word about who you are and what you do and the work that you're presently engaged in? Yeah, sure. I uh, do work for the National Catholic Bioethics Center. I joined them back in Oh, 2003. So it's been a good 20 years now. And I serve as the director of education. So this means that, I mean, as you pointed out, I, I do travel around and speak on different topics. Embryonic stem cell research used to be really the issue of the day. And I was speaking all over the country and, and overseas about it as well. Now, a little more focus on uh, things like transgender issues and always uh, an interest in talks on end-of-life decision-making. So I do a fair amount of that. Our center also works closely with the bishops. So every two years, we put on a kind of a mega conference in Dallas uh, for the U.S. bishops and for uh, bishops that we invite from Canada, Central America, and sometimes the Philippines. And we do this together with the Knights of Columbus. And we typically get, you know, 100-plus bishops who attend, we give them a couple of days of updating on the latest issues in, in bioethics. Uh, so that's another aspect of our outreach. And we also publish in the area of bioethics, and we also um, help bishops and dioceses and Catholic hospitals when there are kind of complex questions around cooperation and evil. So maybe you've got a Catholic hospital and they're saying to themselves, hmm, there's another secular hospital down the road and they do abortions there and we would like to, uh, I don't know, share a surgical center with them or maybe just share a parking lot with them. You know, how do you figure out what's allowable, what's not allowable? And those can be quite complicated types of questions which require that we actually look over collaborative arrangement, documentation, that kind of thing. So, you know, we do a lot of work in, in that area as well. Okay. So many of those things, folks, if you're interested, you can follow up at ncbcenter.org uh, just to hear in general about the work of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. And then Father Tad's talks and publications and other things besides can be found at his website, which is fathertad.com. So F-A-T-H-E-R. T-A-D.com. So 
uh, we thought that a way to approach this particular episode was from the kind of Catholic who wants the perspective of a Catholic who wants to, you know, be as innocent as a dove, but perhaps as, as crafty as a serpent, which is to say, doesn't want to incur the guilt, which could be incurred if you dabble with things like, yeah, you know, if it comes to maybe vaccines or if it comes to um, particular research or if it comes to a line of, you know, like the way that you describe parking lots big you know, brings that to our attention. Um, and we thought one, one good way to approach this particular question was with respect to these, uh, you know, HEC 293 cells. Uh, so it became a big topic when many of the COVID vaccines were made available, but it's, but it's been a topic insofar as they have been at least part of the kind of testing or development or even present in vaccines for some time now. So could you just orient us to the to the HEC 293 discussion for those who aren't up to date so as to yeah kind of set the stage? Yeah, the uh, HEC 293 cell line is HEK -E stands for human embryonic kidney. And it's a cell line that was developed in the 70s and it has become very, very widely disseminated. Uh, among researchers. So scientists who are developing new chemical reagents or doing gene work, human gene work, they often rely on HEC-293 cell lines. They've just been distributed everywhere. Um, and so you mentioned vaccines as one area where uh, the development of certain vaccines will rely on either testing or the actual development process on these cell lines or on other ones that may also have problematic origins in the sense that they may have also come from an abortion. So the way these were procured originally, there was an abortion that happened. A researcher showed up afterwards and at the clinic and basically said, you know, do you have any fetal cadavers that I can take cells out of and use for my research purposes. And uh, they were able to obtain cell lines that way. And so some of those have become almost in a way that's impossible to dislodge. Uh, they've become incorporated into the general flow of scientific research uh, throughout the world. Mm -hmm. Father Ted, I that that gives a, a specific a nice specific uh, case of how we're entangled in cooperation with evil in a sense um and someone might think oh well then if that's evil therefore we we shouldn't participate in it at all in any sort of way uh but the catholic church has moral reflections principled reflections that aren't just co compromises i mean people might think catholics are trying to be moral but then they're also willing to compromise Maybe walk us through, you mentioned a little bit, um, how, how a Catholic thinks about the issues of participating in these evils as distant as you say they are, and why that's not just mm, compromising, but actually a principled reflection on what it means to, to engage in the world morally, especially the modern world. Yeah, I would say the, the categories of cooperation in evil have been very carefully thought through by the church and really provide very helpful kinds of uh, touchstones, guideposts, you know, points of reference for us uh, in the sense that, I mean, if you look at it in the very broad sense, 
the question becomes basically, uh, am I making too strong a causal contribution to the evil that somebody else is doing? And if you're making a weak causal contribution, so something you're doing is not essential, it's, you know, very removed from the action of the principal agent who's doing the evil, um, it's likely that in the face of a proportionately serious reason, you will be able to cooperate. But there will be certain types of cooperation that you will be causally simply way too close to the evil that's happening. So simple example, you have a um, clinician at an abortion clinic who's carrying out an abortion, and you're a nurse there, and you're actually handing the suction device to the physician, or maybe flipping it on as he does the abortion. Clearly, your causal contribution is very, very significant. It's very close. It's uh, what we would term immediate cooperation in evil. And that's a type of cooperation that even if, you know, you're in a situation where you're saying, I have to support my family and this is the only kind of employment I can, etc., cetera, um, you have to still step away from it because you're causally too close. But on the other hand, if you're, let's say, the groundskeeper at the abortion clinic and you're just trimming bushes uh, outside, you know, the, the causal contribution that you're making to the commission of the evil, it's clearly many levels removed from what the principal agent is doing. Uh, and there may be, you know, in that case, uh, a proportionately serious reason that you could say, at least on a temporary basis, I may be able to trim the bushes outside uh, the abortion clinic. But you do have to be also very attentive, not only to the categories of cooperation and evil, but there's a second uh, set of categories which we call theological scandal, which one wants to be careful to avoid uh, entanglement in as well. And that might be the sort of thing that, you know, if you're the groundskeeper and you're uh, at St. Philomena's parish and somebody at the parish finds out, oh, you've been trimming the bushes over at the abortion clinic and they say to you, well, gee, so do you really think abortion is sometimes okay? Uh, and then you're sort of caught in a quandary. You'd have to really make sure that you took care of that potential for theological scandal, because it might even be the sort of thing that they would say, well, you know, Bob, who's trimming those those uh, bushes, he seems not to be opposed to abortion. And my daughter just got unexpectedly pregnant. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I'm going to more seriously consider taking her to an abortion clinic, you know, so that our actions can be misread. He may, in fact, be on the pro-life committee at, at St. Philomena's, um, but he would need to, you know, take steps there to limit that potential for scandal. But, you know, circling back to to cooperation in evil, uh, there will be very helpful analyses that we can do that will allow us to discern whether or not it is appropriate for us to make that particular causal contribution uh, to the evil action of a principal agent. Mm -hmm. Okay, so 
I want to follow up on the description that you gave of limiting or distancing ourselves from, and then you described in this example how on a temporary basis, one might be able to justify or rationalize such employ. Uh, so I think perhaps one of the notions uh, that we um, maybe falsely introduce into the conversation is this idea that our, like our moral life is taken in snapshots and we begin to think of our whole moral lives just in terms of either permissibility or non-permissibility. And then we're evaluating summing, well, how does one describe that? You're evaluating different moral moments as if they were unconnected based on whether they're permissible or not. Whereas what you describe has more of a kind of dynamism to it. It's like we're limiting, we're, we're kind of exercising an active agency or we're distancing ourselves. So there's a temporality to it, but it wouldn't be something that you would want to find yourself in for a long time. So I think that that provides us a good transition point. Uh, so Catholics are going to kind of touch upon these questions from a variety of different vantages. You might have somebody who wants to get into uh, gene therapy and vaccines, you know, like microbiology program, or you might have a mother who's making a decision for her, you know, child, whether or not to vaccinate, or you might have people who are just thinking in terms of their careers, they're working in a lab at present, they're introducing the cell line, is it perhaps time for me to found my own Catholic, you know, genetics or bioethics, ex dot, 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 I don't understand the thing well enough to describe it in a way that's accurate, but you see where I'm going. <laughs> um, maybe could you offer some principles uh, for kind of Catholics on the way, not in the sense like, yeah, you might be sinning now, but hopefully we won't sin later, but in the sense of like, how do we progress through these steps so as to make better decisions and so as to distance ourselves, but ultimately so as to draw near to the Lord? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point. There's a, an element here of actively choosing uh, what you are going to be doing in terms of your, your actions. And of course, our actions contribute to our own formation. It's a kind of, um, that's what, a, what growth in virtue involves, that, you know, we're transformed in either a positive direction, virtue, or in a, in a not positive direction as we move towards vice. So these choices matter. It's not just the snapshot uh, kind of, you know, once, uh, once off or once in the moment kind of uh, discernment that we, we get drawn into. So I think for a student, for example, who maybe is approaching graduate school and they're interested in doing some gene cloning or some other vaccine development work maybe, uh, and they're checking out different labs at a particular school in a particular department, you know, whether it's molecular biology or neuroscience or cell bio or whatever. And they do need to do their best to upfront understand that there is a concern around the use of cell lines that are derived from abortions. And it's better for them if they have this kind of uh, degree of freedom of movement, as you often do when you're starting early in your studies and you're choosing a lab intentionally, that you try to avoid labs that are using some of these established cell lines like HEC293 and choose other labs uh, that would use maybe non-human cell lines or human cell lines that were not derived from abortions. But, you know, maybe, for example, there's some cell lines that are derived from uh, cancer tumors that, you know, have been turned into useful tools for researchers. 
Uh, so doing that up front, I think, is important. Now, does this mean that you have to absolutely scrupulously avoid every single lab everywhere that has any problematic cell line? Well, the answer, I think, would be no. It's not going to extend that broadly. Uh, and if you have some particular angle of research that, you know, you're going to be going into a lab and you're as far as you can tell, not going to be involved with problematic cell lines, even though other people, maybe just on the next lab bench over, they are going to be using the problematic cell lines. You know, then there may be uh, reasons to do that, and you might even you might even think of it as there will be some opportunities for discussions where I'll be able to influence lab mates. Uh, around the question of the origins of some of these cells, and maybe even the PI, the principal investigator, you know, to be able to uh, sort of heighten awareness of some of the ethical issues. Because sometimes scientists haven't even begun to process that. They're not even aware of the origins, really. They just know this is a workhorse cell line. Everybody uses it. And um, they don't know about the problematic origins in any kind of detail. So, you know, there, there are going to be many variables here that will affect decisions like that. And so just to give you another example, I've had students who have moved into a lab, started uh, a research project, a graduate project. Um, they're more than halfway through to getting their PhD, getting their doctorate. And all of a sudden they realize, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize that this HEC-293, where it came from, and I've been working with it, you know, for two years, do I have to throw all my research data into the trash and start over? And they come to us and we'll say, well, no, you don't have to throw it all into the trash. Uh, you, you can continue to work here, but this is something that you should be, uh, if there is an alternative moving forward that will work for you and not um, compromise all the data that you've accumulated up to now, then you should look at that if it won't, you know, delay you by five more years of work kind of thing, uh, then you should look at that. So, you know, it becomes an active discussion. Uh, and we will, it'll depend sort of how closely also they're working with these cells. Sometimes they're working with them themselves, sometimes they're doing a project where they hand off what they're doing to somebody else who will then use the HEC-293 for testing, that kind of thing, that's going to be different. So the, the devil is in the details sometimes, and it's important to be very, very specific. When we have people come to us for consultations of this type, you know, we have usually a fairly extended conversation. What exactly are you doing in the lab? You know, what is your association with these cell lines? Uh, how far along are you? You know, many other questions that will be relevant to assessing uh, whether they are in a position that they can uh, either give witness or step away from the project uh, or, you know, choose a path that doesn't involve any connection to the abortion-derived cell lines. Yeah, and I, I want to follow up, Father Tad, on the uh, devils in the detail business, uh, especially with modern medical sciences, you could say. Uh, the beauty of it's the chiaroscuro, uh, the, uh, you know, flip side of the of the coin of the ability to have all these great medical gifts. We can, I mean, what someone might have died from even 30 years ago now is standard procedure. We've, we have great blessings in our medical sciences and improvements in this way. 
Yet it also means we live in, you could say, with fraught with some dangers and some some potential pitfalls to avoid that gets very complicated um, with these things, especially morally considered, and especially because I think we in modernity, we silo off like the technical skill of doing something and then moral, we treat morality as it's this other thing totally separate. And this happens in medical schools, I'm sure, and it happens in other schools, engineering, business, and all of this. We get these kind of things. So Mike, I guess what I'm aiming at is thinking about the fact that so much of our sin, at least in the modern world, is oftentimes started by ignorance and getting involved in something, as you mentioned, like a project you didn't even know about, and now you have to do something about it puts you in this. And so much, I think, in our in our life of sin it is starts in these situations. Um, so, but to help us think through for someone thinking about entering nursing field or the medical field, uh, what are some of the things you see today that you can say ahead of time? Now, this is something you should be aware of because your medical school or your hospital might not raise these questions or think about these end of life issues, this kind of thing. What should the, a, someone, a, prof- a medical professional be thinking about as a Catholic that, might, that they might inadvertently get involved with because no one was telling them? What are some of the, the, the pitfalls and the dangers here? Well, I would say it, it's going to depend on the specialty to a high degree. So, for example, people who might be moving into uh, OBGYN, obstetrics and gynecology, there's a whole raft of moral concerns and, you know, flashpoint issues ranging from abortion to direct sterilization, um, you know, tying of tubes, uh, how do you handle ectopic pregnancies, uh, you know, how do you handle some of the complex pregnancies where there's uh, maternal fetal conflicts that arise? Those areas are very complex, and there is uh, a lot of pressure, I would say, professionally today to kind of conform. And by that, I mean sometimes quickly to, for example, prescribe contraception, quickly to urge abortion as a solution, etc., um, so that would be, you know, OBGYN areas. I mean, you mentioned end of life areas. I think if you're moving in that direction, the question of really understanding and appreciating hospice and palliative care and how these areas are so practical and, and important and how they also serve as an important potential deflection point for the rising tide of expanding physician assisted suicide and euthanasia, that we need to have, you know, people who are well-trained in these areas of pain management, for example, to sort of be able to tamp down the growing pressure to make physician-assisted suicide universally available. Um, Other areas, I think the transgender area, uh, we see a lot of growing pressure there uh, among surgeons, for example, to get involved or endocrinologists to become those who prescribe hormones that will uh, facilitate this transitioning of an individual from male to female or vice versa. And very, very significant ethical concerns around all of those approaches. And again, I think a lot of professional pressure being levied, being applied uh, to even at the medical student level. So Sometimes medical students are going to have to, you know, understand that in 
at least in the interests of freedom of conscience and freedom of religion, that they are going to need to specifically request to be exempted from certain types of participation, like participation in an abortion. Uh, they'll have to say to their, their mentors, to their superiors, that they, they can't participate in that, uh, you know, even though they'll say, well, this is typically part of the training. I would say, I understand that, and I'll, you know, be glad to look at a textbook that describes certain things, but I'm not willing to scrub in, uh, you know, on this one. Um, so I think, you know, sometimes when we, you know, have these conversations and we recognize the degree to which we are compassed about by those who would have us do things which would lead um, to our moral destruction, to the destruction of those with whom we live. It can be, you know, it can be overwhelming. It can be saddening. Um, and certainly the world, the flesh and the devil, I mean, our, our fight is not with flesh and blood, it's with powers and principalities. And they want us overwhelmed. They want us saddened. They want us anxious. Um, and I think that I'm, I'm thinking of the story of the life of St. Thomas Aquinas, where he had resolved to become a Dominican. His family wasn't for it. They imprisoned him in their family castle. I mean, a light imprisonment, but an imprisonment nonetheless. And his brothers had the insight that if we can get him to fall, you know, into vice, into sin, then he'll get off his high horse and then he'll just be about the serious business, which we have envisioned for him. And so they introduced a prostitute into his room. St. Thomas very serenely conducted that pro prostitute to the exit uh, with a firebrand and then burned a cross on his door and then was girt about uh, with a kind of angelic chastity. Um, so, so I think that the world of flesh and the devil, they know what they, they know what they're doing when they try to implicate us or when they try to compromise us as it were. Um, and for us again, it can be overwhelming. So maybe, uh, as a kind of like final word or a final thought, what are things to have before our minds or, or virtues that we're seeking to cultivate in our hearts so that we are, yeah, <laughs> less, less overwhelmed, perhaps less sad and less, less made less anxious by, you know, the, the enemies which are ranged about. Yeah, well, I think, you know, in that sense, just taking the time as Catholics to uh, form ourselves to, you know, go to talks around these issues, uh, maybe do a little reading, do some, you know, there, there are plenty of good resources on the internet, uh, including, you know, our website, which you mentioned earlier, the ncbcenter.org. Um, and, and I think when you do that, and you sort of get a better sense of the parameters, of you know what's allowable, what's not allowable. Uh, I also run a certification program, and we graduate uh, about a hundred students a year from that. Uh, many of them doctors, nurses, priests, others, uh, and you know it's just an opportunity to sort of really understand where does where are the lines of God's will, and if I live in that and make it a, an intentional choice, you know I am opening up a path towards beatitude, a path towards blessedness. And living really an integral life in this way is a path of fulfillment. And on the other hand, if I don't do that, I'm going to become, for example, a physician who's, you know, compromising on the right, compromising on the left. And I think I have to do it. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're going to be miserable as you pull against the fabric of your own conscience. So it really is, a, you know, the, the Lord offers us a higher path and it is higher, and it is definitely more beautiful, and it is humanly uh, and divinely so fulfilling when we have that uh, determination to pursue and remain on that kind of a path. I'm uh, Father Ted, I, I just want to encourage people to go to your website and uh, to learn these things, because they also can see some interviews 
and some debates with you and some uh, and others. Uh, and your calm demeanor, I think, is a beautiful witness to the fact that there is no need to get upset or over, you know, emotional about these things because they're true and they're good and they're beautiful. And you can feel confident in proclaiming the Catholic truth in these such situations. And your website has many, so fathertad.com, uh, I think it is, um, has many resources there and links to other places that if you're in the medical field uh, and you're already thinking about it today, or just if you're just a human in America, today, you're going to have conversations on transgender and these sort of things for, for our listeners to go go to these sites. And also the final point on that is um, it's a beautiful fusion of ever ancient, ever new, because the the images and the top of the website are these delightful black and white kind of look like they're from, uh, I don't know, the Little Women book or something like an old old fashioned books. And yet here we're talking, you're, this is a man who is Yale trained neuroscience and using fantastic words that I have no idea what any of this stuff is about. So it's that <laughs> there is this continuity of both the beauty of, of, of the human civilization and yet um, acronyms and all sorts of numbers that are involved here. So it's, it's but uh, your, your demeanor is, is delightful and the confidence in the truth is something that uh, I think we can also imitate in, in approaching these issues and letting people know that you can calmly proclaim the truth because it is, it is something that they ultimately all desire. Well, thank you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I appreciate the work of the Dominicans in, in trying to uh, support that kind of balanced approach. Uh, I think it's humanly very wholesome. And, um, you know, I, I think the more we can do of this together, a kind of, arms locked together, uh, we build up the church and we strengthen one another. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't anticipate that the end of the episode would be like a kind of panegyric uh, or a combination <laughs> of your excellence, but I find myself tending in a similar direction. And I was thinking about this recently because, you know, you, you treat a lot of issues which people feel very strongly about and which people argue about very vehemently and vociferously, but you're able to do so in a way that's very serene. Um, and it's not patronizing or condescending, which is where people who try to be calm generally tend, which is more frustrating than just being angry because it's like, at least I know you're honest but when it, yeah. Okay. Um, but, but I think that, um, something that we've kind of become accustomed to is making an industry of outrage. So like, you know, people over here are saying this, but then my people are saying that's crazy, but there's no positive project, right? There's no real effort at, at education right or at formation but the fact that you know boots on the ground you're doing things for education and for formation and providing people with the resources which is to say like the principles and the arguments and you know the different things which give them access to the truth that's awesome so awesome is probably not the most inspired word with which to end said panjeric but again thanks <laughs> well thank you both very much really great to uh, have the chance to parse a few of these issues and uh you know i uh, maybe we'll have another opportunity another time oh, i hope so that would be, that'd be excellent. All right. So we'll turn now to the listener and say thanks, as always, for listening to God's Planning. We heard uh, both of those websites at the outset, but ncbcenter.org and then fathertadspelledout.com, where you can find all of those resources and begin your own kind of independent formation on these issues so as to be better equipped, uh, so as to be more, as it were, rooted and grounded in the love which the church brings to bear in our lives. So please do follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And then if you would like and subscribe and 
whatever the other thing is that we typically encourage. Oh yeah, leave a five-star review. Cheers. Uh, and if you'd like to donate to the podcast through Patreon, please follow the link in the description or in the show notes there. You will also find links for one merchandise and for two events, which is to say retreats, our first of which is in June. Applications for that are open. Um, so we'd love to see you there at the Malvern Retreat House in Malvern, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia. And you'll also find information for the two retreats, which are to follow in August and in November, respectively. So, Nova prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we'll look forward to chatting with you next time on God's Blade.